Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on cage.press.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Well, we are going to be talking about UFC 287 this week. That's right. We're going to talk about the big event out of Miami, giving you a couple of fights, a couple of dogs, a couple of parlays. And in addition to that, we'll also be talking to a couple of the fighters on the fight card. First, I'm talking to Mean Machine Steve Garcia about his upcoming fight. And later on in the show, I'll be talking about Lupita Godinez about her fight. And we're going to get to all that great content for you in just a moment. But before we do, I have to let you know that this episode is brought to you by the Picket app. The Picket social betting platform allows you to sync all of your bets from all your sports books in one nice, neat spot, helping you stay on top of the ways that you're most profitable. Not only that, but it's a great place to connect with other bettors, whether that be showing off your big score to some of your friends or trying to gain a following in the sports betting community. Picket's got you covered. New, veteran, and experienced bettors have all joined the Picket community. So what are you waiting for? Download the Picket app from the Google Play Store or the App Store today and get in on the fun. Picket brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, joining me today is Steve Garcia, who fights Shah Yalan at UFC 287. That fight is on April 8th. So, Steve, I wanted to start here. You know, MMA fans, they tend to be some of the best in the world. They tend to be some of the worst in the world. And you went out there in your last fight, and you beat one of the more popular guys in the sport, one of the guys that has, like, one of the bigger followings, and you did so devastatingly. What was the fan interaction like after that fight with, with Chase Hooper? I uh, definitely got a lot of um, a lot of thumbs up, a lot of compliments, a lot of you know good jobs, proud of you, and they come from all all the way around, from people I don't know, from people that probably didn't like me, to all of it. You know what I mean? So it was kind of cool. You know what I mean? But at the end of the day, I'm I'm here to do a job, and he just you know one of many to come. That's awesome to hear, and it's good to hear that you got the good side of it more than the bad side of it. And, and of course, the other good side of it you get here, too, is the performance bonus. You cash your first UFC 50K performance bonus with a sick knockout. Did you have big plans for it? Was this just like a squirrel away in the bank, or did you do something fun with it? I had big dreams for it, but unfortunately, you know, you definitely got to make, you know, you got you to do your priorities, of course, first. You got to pay your people and, you know make sure everything's, you know, paid off. And uh, I didn't, I was planning to get an RV with it, but I figured I'd just be smart and I just got the things that I, I could, I could definitely use. And so I bought my family like a new fridge and I bought me like a really nice treadmill and stuff trying to re I reinvested myself as much as I can. And uh, I'll just wait for the next, the next bonus to maybe buy my RV. Yeah, I was just going to say that then. Is, is April 8th circled as the date for the next performance bonus? Is that the RV performance bonus if it comes April 8th? <laughs> Every single time will be will be the <laughs> the goal, right? But ultimately, just win. The 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 uh the performance bonus will will follow and it'll come, but I'm on a I'm on a humongous card and all these guys are amazing athletes, great fighters, so I know it's tough to get them. So I just got to focus on winning and then, you know, everything else will fall into place as long as I 
I do what I'm supposed to do that night. Absolutely. And, and let's we're going to talk right in a second about that huge pay-per-view, the big crowd, all that kind of stuff. But I wanted to ask you one more question about the Hooper fight, because that, that was a fight that I think a lot of people pegged as being, you know, interesting, as being back and forth. You were a pretty large underdog. And, and it was everything but that. It wasn't interesting. You you murdered him in no time flat, right? Like it was a 70-second fight. Did it feel shocking to you that it was as easy as it was? Or, or did you kind of see him as a matchup that was going to be easier than maybe the pundits were predicting? Um, honestly, it was just who was going to do what they were. Uh, who's going to pose their will, really? Uh, so pretty much, I, you know, we all know what Chase Hooper likes to do, but he's very tough, man. Like, that kid's so tough. And, and going into that fight, I'm like, all right, this kid's going to be durable. Like, I already have that expectation. You know, even when you drop him, like, he's going to get back up and he's going to try to, you know, grab a leg, grab an ankle. He's a little ankle biter, too. So, like, you know, he's going to try to do that stuff. And and my biggest thing was to keep everything in my favor. So I knew as long as it was on my feet, I was going to have the, the favor and my odds of winning were going to be really high. And that's what we were able to do, man. I went in there and, you know, I kind of stayed poised. He actually wanted it. He kind of came at me striking uh, aggressively. And I was actually kind of surprised about that. But, you know, that's 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 kind of, you know, down my alley. And, you know, it kind of showed. So, you know, I dropped him, you know, a couple of times. And, like, I, I knew exactly what, you know, he was going to do. He was going to get back up. And he was going to try, you know, figure out how to win or how to how to, you know, do something. I just didn't give him the opportunity and I just made sure I capitalized on every moment that, you know, I, I saw the advantage to beat him. And every time I drop him, like old me would have been like, I'm going to jump into your guard and I'm going to try to punch you in the face. But, you know, new me is like, no, nah, we, we learn from every, every experience that we, that we face. And uh, no, we're, we're going to let him back up and we're going to, you know, make sure that these, these, these odds are staying in our favor the whole entire fight. And uh, it paid off for me. It did in a big way. Now, let's talk about what you got as a result of that fight. Because not only do they get you, you know, another nice matchup here in Shailan, a, a guy who's another up-and-comer that they're ready to see you up against. But they're letting you do it in front of a huge crowd, a giant pay-per-view. You're going to Miami for USC 287. What was maybe sort of your first reaction to them being like, you know, we want you on this massive card in front of a super live crowd, not in the apex, you know, like, out there with all that good stuff. Tell yeah, man, it was it was honestly kind of like for me just because I noticed who was on the card, that was the biggest thing for me because I'm like, man, like it's not that I'm trying to take anything away from uh Shailan uh Nordenbeck. He, you know, he's he's a he's a very phenomenal fighter, good wrestler, all that stuff. But because they put me on this card with these people that like I've watched for several several years and that like I just look highly up to that I see they do big things and I'm like man I was like it makes me want to step up my game it makes me want to make sure that like I bring my tenacity and make sure I bring my my energy and my abilities to the table when I go put on a performance so that I I you know I want to be in the top with all those guys at some point and uh they're just gonna get it they're gonna be able to watch it you know uh I know I'm, I'm earlier on the prelims and stuff but they're going to they're gonna know who I am at, at some point. You know, if you don't know me, you will know me. I love that. Now, 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 there's a lot of uh, sort of the bigger names on there, right? A lot of guys who maybe you've watched over the last years, you know, 
Pajeda, Ida Sonia, Burns, Masvidal, Ponsonibio, Michael Chiesa, Calvin Gastelum, like, you know, you know, you name it, you know, even Michelle Waterson's been in the UFC forever. It, are, are there certain ones that you were thinking of when you said, you know, fighters you looked up to, fighters you've been watching for a while that stick out to you? Um, I mean, obviously, like, Adesanya is always, like, someone that, like, you know, he the magnitude of him is just it's crazy. You know, I know he's doing, you know, with his losses from the Perea um, bouts that he's, that he's had with him, but it doesn't change what he's done. And, you know, like, to me, I've, I've seen this guy strike. He's probably one of the best strikers I've ever watched um, ever. And to see him do it and to know that I'm on the same card as that guy, you know, shows that my hard work's paying off. Uh, that I'm going to continue just to keep moving up in the ranks and just keep just one fight at a time growing. And obviously, who doesn't like Jorge Masvidal? You know, Masvidal has just been the guy that, you know, I've been watching him since, like, before he, he got the BMS belt and all that stuff, and he was fighting Cowboy, and he was he was fighting Till, and he was, you know, doing his thing. And, you know, he didn't have his, what was the Street Jesus, you know, uh, <laughs> situation. You know what I mean? Like, I just always, anytime he was on the card, I was like, I want to watch that guy because, you know, the guy brings it, you know. Um, you know, Micah Kies is a good one. I mean, that uh, that other Chinese guy, I forget his name. Um, uh, oh, uh, Li Jingyuang. Yeah, I mean, he's a fan favorite too. Like, he's, you know, he fought uh, that Chimaev or whatever. And there's just so many. And then I've been on a card with Michelle, which is one of my one of my training partners and stuff like that. That's super cool. Um, yeah, man, there's just a lot of cool things about this card and, um, uh, it's an honor to be on it. Awesome. And, and I want to get your take on just one of those fights before we, we move on. You know, you mentioned the losses Idesanya has to Pajeda. Are you picking him in the rematch? Do you see Idesanya turning this one around? I, I, man, you know what? Like Pereira just uh, has his number, but I, I'm, I'm going for him. I'm going for him. Like, I, I think he can, I think he can get it. I mean, he was winning the last fight and. You know, to that very end, you know, he just had, if you would have been able to do what he needed to do for another, you know, minute, a couple minutes, like, you know, he's walking, you know, away with his title, you know, and, uh, you know, this, it's, it's going to be another very, very tough fight for him. And I think that, you know, he's seen every aspect of him on kickboxing and now he's seen it on MMA. I hope he comes to the table and he's, you know, he, he, he's allowed to mix it up now. This is mixed martial arts. I know that this is, you know, that he's a, a significant striker, but I'm like, hey, man, like, use all your stuff. You know what I mean? Like, use your grappling, use your wrestling, then use your striking because you know that, you know, you're, you can do that now, you know? So I hope I hope he just he uh, just shows a whole a whole other side to the, you know, to his to his game and uh, he retains the title. Yeah, I, I would love to see that as well. And, and speaking of seeing, you know, all sides of your game here, Shailon is really a fighter who I have pegged as a guy who we can see a little bit more of your game. You know, you mentioned that you really like to strike and you have a lot of fun striking, but, you know, your wrestling defense has been phenomenal as of late, too. It's been a big part of your abilities to kind of knock out the couple of opponents you've knocked out recently. Do you see Shailon kind of going to that part of his wrestling? And if so, like, how do you think your wrestling holds up against his? Uh, honestly, I, I feel like my my takedown defense is really good. I mean, I'm not trying to boast or anything like that, but I've I've really spent a lot of time focusing on that. But um, I feel like even my my uh, uh, my offensive wrestling has, has has improved. And so at the end of the day, I'm just trying to really just smooth out all the corners and just try to make sure I'm as well rounded as possible. But the writing's on the wall. You know, my striking's probably my highest attribute, and um, 
I, this is really a style matchup. You know, I, I'm not saying Shadlon can't strike with me or anything like that because, you know, he's shown to, you know, strike with a couple of uh, his, his previous opponents. And um, his last fight was kind of weird. But the uh, the ones pr- prior to that, you know, he uses his striking really to set up the takedowns. And, and this is a striker versus wrestler type of uh, fight for us. And so um, it's nothing I haven't seen before. When I fought at 35, I fought so many of these guys because a lot of 35ers are wrestlers. Um, I just feel like this, this is something I haven't, I, I, this is something that I have seen before. It's nothing new. Um, and we get to see it, you know, in April 8th. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to go prove myself, you know, show, show what I need to do. And I feel like the biggest, the biggest thing that I'm going to have to keep my eye on is really the clock. You know what I mean? I got to make sure that, you know, I'm not against the cage for too long or I'm not, you know, he's not on my legs or whatever he's planning on doing for very long. You know, I want to make sure that one, the, the fans get what they want to see. And number two, that, you know, he's just not going to win, you know, pretty much by, by stalemating and just keeping me against the cage or something like that. So then, you know, I usually like to end these things with a prediction. You just said all the stuff you have to avoid. So what's it look like when you avoid all that stuff on April 8th? Honestly, man, like he, he's going to be in a lot of pain. He's, he's going to be in a lot of pain. Like he's, he's every, every, every position, every single thing, he's just going to get hit with something. He's just, he's going to be uncomfortable the whole entire fight. That is going to be my biggest thing. Just make him uncomfortable, make him work for every single thing that he tries to do and then make him pay on top of every shot he does. And, you know, everyone that I can, I can uh, defend. And then I think, I think once, once that all kind of starts coming into play, then I'm going to start having my way with him and I'll, I'll be able to impose my will. And, and then you're going to, you're going to see a finish at some point, but kids very durable, kids very tough. And, um, yeah, I got to bring my A game and, and just make sure that, you know, uh, the, the wrestling doesn't, doesn't, uh, I don't, I just don't lose with the wrestling just by points or just by the time being, you know, and him, he's, he's like a master at control. He just wants to hold you either down or against something showing dominance. And he does that really well. And that's not what I like to do. I mean, I'm a fighter, you know, fighters, you know, fighters fight and I, I like to fight, but you know, he learns how to win and he figures out how to win and, um, it's just not going to happen that way. Uh, well, you're here to hear first, folks. This has been Steve the Mean Machine Garcia, who fights Shai Yalan at UFC 287. That fight, once again, is April 8th. Steve, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Of course, man. Thank you for having me. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Steve Garcia. I want to get Daniel Gubby Freeland. Join now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave. The big news out of the UFC world this weekend, of course, with no fights, is the huge acquisition of the WWE. Some people are talking about how it could shift the landscape. Some people are talking about how it's going to change pay-per-views and pay and all these other things. But you, as somebody who follows both, I want to get your take on it. What does this mean for the greater landscape of the, the UFC and the WWE? Yeah, I think for right now, based on the way Endeavor uh, bought UFC and has run it since 2016 when they bought it for the Fertitas, they're going to run largely the same, and it's going to be business as usual uh, for probably the next 12, 24 months. The two big markers on the calendar is that WWE has a media rights deal expiring in a year. Uh, I believe that's with both Fox and USA for their weekly cable television package. And then the UFC's contract with uh, ESPN for their fight nights and then exclusive rights to their pay-per-views will expire in 2025. 
So I think what they basically said in a lot of, you know, the press releases and the press conferences that they held is that next year's WWE TV media rights package will be negotiated as per normal. But what I find so fascinating about this, and, you know, listen, I, I rented UFC one on a VHS tape. I've talked about it many times on the show. So I've been following the UFC since 1994, and I've been a fan of WWE since I was, you know, a little fat six-year-old Hulkamaniac and probably more closely started following the business in the mid-90s. Um, these two business models have been trending much the same for the past 10, 15 years. Uh, one being, you know, of course, theatrical worked combat and the other one being real. But Bloody Elbow has a great breakdown on this, and I'll just share it with you right now, Gumby. Really fascinating Based off of revenues last year, they were near identical. WWE 1.3 billion, UFC 1.1 billion. Media rights is the largest share of their revenues for both companies. 75% for WWE and 71% for UFC. WWE's media rights are more expensive. I'll come back to that in one minute. But another interesting, you know, just comparison. Live events are 11% and 10% for both companies. So. You know, the UFC's gates are incredible when they go to Vegas and, you know, you have high rollers or casinos, I should say, buying tickets at a high price for their high rollers. Uh, and then the UFC running or excuse me, WWE running stadiums for WrestleMania, two night events, 80,000 fans. But it comes to about the same, you know, it makes up about a tenth of their revenues. And then uh, consumer products were higher for WWE. They have licensing deals with toys that the UFC just doesn't have. And then for sponsorship, the UFC 13% was in sponsorship for the UFC's revenues compared to only five for WWE. Now UFC, they, their mat looks like a Jackson Pollock painting of just sponsor logos that threw up, you know, it's like a NASCAR uh, car crash of logos on the UFC. WWE might start to do the same. And that's what I wanted to bring up Gumby is they're saying all the right things right now. They're going to be run separately, and I have no doubt that, you know, Ari Emanuel, of course, the character that was based on the Ari, or the real-life person who was based on the Ari character uh, in Entourage, you know what I'm trying to say, he will leave these two juggernauts alone and let them do their own thing. But if push comes to shove, if there's trouble, if they're not seeing the bids they want for WWE's media rights this next round, or for their streaming rights with Peacock in three years, or for UFC's rights with ESPN in three years... They mentioned, Gumby, that they could package these together. So if like an Amazon or a Netflix wanted to become the combat sports hub, both real and fake, they could package it together and sell for, you know, media rights for $2 billion. And the whole point of this is where I see the merge happening is that I think, first of all, they, you already know they're going to package to DraftKings like a betting application together. That's already coming to fruition for WWE. UFC has been in that business for a long time. That's going to merge. The licensing, I think UFC is going to leverage some of WWE's licensing deals. You'll see more you know, UFC stuff in Target, on toy shelves. And then I think from a media rights standpoint, you can hold me to this, mark it down, we'll circle back. It might not be in a year, but it could be in three years. They might package their media rights together. And what that would mean is WWE has already gotten out of the pay-per-view model and you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. 
I could very much see a scenario where the UFC would ditch the $70 per pay-per-view, go more to what WWE did, which they're making more money with, by the way, because of what Peacock paid them versus what ESPN paid for the exclusive rights. And you could actually have it where finally the UFC would just be like a flat fee of $10 per month per pay-per-view. Again, I'm not saying it's going to happen overnight, but it's a possibility a few years from now. Yeah, I I think there's lots of possibilities with the packaging of rights. I I think that that's just the biggest piece of it all. I will not throw out the idea that they try to do their own streaming thing because it does seem like the the UFC is still dead set on making UFC Fight Pass a thing. Um, and, And whether that means just like some of the smaller shows on their own streaming service while they package the bigger shit, like could be that. But I, I'm 100% with you. I, I think we wind up seeing all of this thrown together in one giant package. And whether it's ESPN or, like you said, one of those other players, Amazon, Netflix, it will remain to be seen. But these are all going to the same place sometime. Yeah. And uh, it's something, you know, again, I didn't want to get too in-depth, but we had to, of course, mention it. It's massive news, and it will have implications on the UFC's business model and how they operate, but not yet. And I, I firmly believe that the intention will be, you know, let these organizations run as they have, but let's not get it twisted. They already said in the first press conference, we're looking at a gambling package for, you know, DraftKings or whoever the, the it might be. They're going to start combining business units and selling because it just, you know, the basically it compounds on top of each other why sell both UFC and WWE to two separate bidders when maybe you could get one bidder to pay, you know, more than the cost of two, the sum of the parts greater than the whole. That's what's going to start happening with a lot of their business units. And that's, what's going to be very interesting to see. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. All right. Well, Hey, who gives a fuck about their business model? Let's (laughs) talk about some mother fricking fights. We have a banger of a UFC card this weekend. It's a massive rematch with Israel Adesanya and Alex Pereira for that middleweight strap. So let's break out our favorite segment on the show, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays for UFC 287. Gumby, I know your voice is hurting after a Red Sox <laughs> game, but I have to know, does anyone sponsor this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays for UFC 287? Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiasts. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. All right, then. Let's start with the main event, as we are known to do. And uh, we already mentioned it is a rematch. It's for the middleweight title. And Israel Adesanya, the former champion, coming off a loss to Alex Perara. But Israel Adesanya finds himself the challenger as the favorite. He's a minus 140. Pereira, the champion, undefeated in the UFC, is the dog at plus 115. I can't stress enough. Pereira won the first fight, but he finds himself the dog here. Uh, Adesanya, before that loss to Pereira, this was back in November, was on a uh, four-fight win streak. He had beaten Marvin Vittori, Robert Whitaker, Jared Cannonier, excuse me, a three-fight win streak. And that was all after losing to Jan Bonkovitz when he came up in weight to challenge for the 205 title. Pereira has looked 
near unbeatable in the UFC, although Israel Adesanya was beating him early in that fight. But more or less, he has been unbeaten in the UFC. He's beaten Andres Mikolaitis, Bruno Silva, Sean Strickland, and of course, Israel Adesanya. Gumby, it's a tight rematch. If Adesanya wins, I'm sure we're headed for a trilogy. Who you got here in fight number two? I think we're headed for the trilogy because I, I like Israel Adesanya in this one. Uh, look, the guy is absolutely a tactician. Uh, and, and, you know, it's worth noting, as you said earlier, he was winning that fight. He was up three rounds to one going into that final fourth round. All he had to do was stall out, survive a couple more minutes. And I think we're going to see a smarter version of Izzy here. We see this a lot in rematches. We see guys go in with a smarter, tighter game plan. I think you're going to see more clinch work out of him. I think you're going to see a little wrestling out of him. But regardless, I think he's going to try to stay away from that big power, try to tire himself out just a little tiny bit less, and I think he edges it on the judges' scorecards here. So I don't disagree with what you're saying game plan-wise. I could totally see Adesanya winning, and we head towards our trilogy. This is a very tough, but a very close fight. And it's obviously close. Just look at the betting odds, right? I, myself, as a gambling man, I actually rather take Ferrari here and just get a little plus money on it. I don't feel so overwhelmingly in favor of Ida Sonia winning. I like a lot of things about this matchup for Ferrara. First of all, I think Ida Sonia, who's been at the MMA game longer, been in the UFC game longer, is more or less what we think he is. I think Pereira, scarily enough, is actually still evolving. And from all things I hear about his training, I think uh, we haven't seen the full-fledged, like, final boss in a video game version of Alex Pereira. So I want to put that out there. I also want to say that there might just be something, as Pereira we know has the the kickboxing win over Adesanya and now the MMA win over Adesanya, You know, if I really have to read into it and kind of be like a morning ESPN anchor who I hate, I would probably be taking the angle of Pereira's just in Idesanya's head. And there's something to that and the momentum of coming off the first win. So there are those little factors that make me like Pereira as the dog. But like you said, it's a very close fight. I think Idesanya is right now the more complete mixed martial artist, which I like on his favor. Uh, but you know what? I think Pereira holds the power advantage. So I'm going Pereira here, but it's so razor close. And no matter what, the, I have a feeling these, these two will fight a third time, even if Pereira goes up 2-0 to begin with. It might just not be immediate, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I will say the one piece that gives me hesitation on Izzy Adesanya is the head game space. You know, like it, it's the the fact that uh, you know, we we just saw with Kamar Usman, he didn't look like his old self in the rematch with Leon Edwards. It was almost like Leon Edwards had taken something from him. Th- there's definitely that possibility here, too. All right, let's move on. Another banger of a fight. Although, the, if you just looked at the odds, you would say, wow, really? Is this such a great fight? <laughs> uh, Gilbert Burns is a minus 520 favorite to Jorge Masvidal, a plus 350 dog. Burns coming off a big win over Neil Magny. Lost to Kamzat Chimiev before that. It was a unanimous decision loss, but it was a banger of a fight and a close fight. He had beaten Stephen Thompson before that and lost to Kamaru Usman before that for the title. He did win round one, in my opinion, and it was a close fight until Usman knocked him out. Bottom line is, he's 2-2 two and two in his last four. Heavy favorite against Masvidal. Masvidal, 
on a three-fight losing streak. Typically, when a guy's on a three-fight losing streak, we think about the fact that maybe he'll be cut by the UFC. Of course, Masvidal lost to the upper echelon of the division, lost to Usman twice, lost to Colby Covington via unanimous decision. But Masvidal has made a huge name for himself. When you dig into it, though, and he's a massive star. don't want to take anything away from him there. When you dig into it, though, this man lost to Damian Maya and Stephen Thompson back in 2017. He then went on a three-fight win streak that made him very famous. He KO'd Darren Till, who I don't even think is in the UFC anymore. He had the highlight reel KO over Ben Askren that we all know about in three seconds, not in the UFC anymore. And he got a TKO doctor stoppage over Nate Diaz at UFC MSG. The Rock was in the building, handing him the BMF title. It was literally like a marketing team's wet dream, that fight. Two massive stars. But again, it was a doctor stoppage. He was winning the fight, don't get me wrong. Nate wasn't out of that fight, though. I do have to say that. I've gone back and watched that fight multiple times. Nate was not out of that fight. He just had that Diaz curse of getting his face cut up, and they had to stop it. He then goes on a three-fight losing streak. My point being, his three-fight win streak that made him famous, it's not the most impressive thing in the world. It's reflected here in the odds. Burns, the massive favorite. Of course, Jorge, most people would say, is the better striker. Burns, the jiu-jitsu ace, would be better on the ground. But don't sleep on Burns striking either. Who you got here, and do you see anything where you could say to yourself, I want Masvidal here? No, I don't want Masvidal at all. Uh, you know, massive issues with his takedown defense. That's the first and foremost, uh, and the part that really scares me. The second part is, Gilbert Burns right now feels disrespected by this title shot talk, right? Everybody's talking about, you know, Colby Covington getting a shot off of his win over uh, Jorge Masvidal, right? Uh, and, and, you know, like then, you know, we're talking about Bilal Muhammad. We're talking about Shavkat Rachmanov. We're not talking about Gilbert Burns. And it's crazy that we're not. He went out there and he absolutely put a clinic on Neil Magny to sort of remind people, look, I'm here. I'm going to finish people fast. I think he's going to have that same mentality against Masvidal. I think you're going to see him shoot, get in on the legs and finish him with a rear naked choke instantly. The other problem I have with this, and the reason I can't pull for Masvidal here, is Masvidal just said, maybe this is the end for me. If I don't win this fight, it's probably over. And usually when you got one foot out the door, you might as well put both of them out the door. So give me Gilbert Burns, and if you're looking for a way to make that line juicier, give me him by submission or in the first round. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Uh, let's go to the next matchup. Very interesting for two guys who, in a lot of ways, are sort of at that career crossroads. Kevin Holland, the minus 310 favorite, Santiago Ponzinibbio, the plus 230 dog. I'll come back to Holland in a second because he's a very interesting case of what happens next. For Ponzinibbio, he's had a very up and down UFC career as well. Um, you know, he came into the UFC all the way back in 2013 and debuted on a loss to Ryan fucking LaFleur, then reels off two wins over Wendell Oliveira and Sean Strickland. Loses to Lorenz Larkin, who at the time was also on a nice little streak before leaving the promotion. So that's back in 2015. He's a two-and-two fighter in the UFC. Santiago Ponzinibbio then reels off seven wins in a row over the course of the next three years. With wins over Gunnar Nelson, Nordin Tlaib, Zach Cummings, Court McGee, Mike Perry, Neil Magny. These are good fucking names, Gumby. But then he runs into a Lee Jinglang KO loss, comes back and beats Miguel Baeza then loses to Joff Neal and M M Michelle Ferrara, and is now coming off a win over Alex Morano via KO. So the point being, he's two and three 
in his last five. He's a massive dog here to Kevin Holland, who's on a two-fight losing streak himself. Of course, those two losses are to Kamzat Chimiev and Stephen Thompson via TKO. And you hear some weird things out of Kevin Holland just about how his career's going, if this is really long-term for him. Um, if you really want to peel it back more, <laughs> Holland is 2-4-1 and one in his last seven fights. The wins coming via Tim Means and Alex Oliveira back in 2022. He lost to Marvin Vittori, Derek Brunson. When he faces some of the better competition, he typically tends to lose. Ponzinibbio, maybe not some of that top-tier competition. A plus-230 dog, Holland a minus-310 favorite. Who you got? I'm going to go with Ponzinibbio here as the dog. Hey. I, just, I love the power in his hands. I, I really also think Kevin Holland has been massively overrated based on just like, you know, he's really marketable. He talks the talk. He walks the walk. He, he gets into the cage. He's he's jawing at you. He's flipping you off. He's a gangster. He'll step up and fight Kamzat Chemaev on six seconds notice. Like, I, I get why he's marketable. But at the same time, we're talking about a guy in Santiago Ponzinibbio who went toe-to-toe with Jeff Neal for 15 minutes, which is not easy to do, and arguably won that fight. So, like, Kevin Holland is not on Jeff Neal's t- tier. It's not, He's not even close. And the fact, too, that he just took such a brutal and savage beating from a striker in Steven Wonderboy Thompson last fight out, uh, I, I like it to happen again. Give me give me uh, Ponzinibbio as a big dog here. I'm liking that. I'm liking that. Uh, our official dog of the week, though, is Chris Curtis, a plus 110 over Calvin Gastelum. Break it down. Yeah, first of all, I just think Calvin, Chris Curtis hits like a truck. Um, and now that he's fighting a little bit smarter, too, I think he can win this one by decision. But the bottom line is, is he's knocked out everybody in the UFC who's been willing to stand and trade with him. Uh, you know, with the only exception being Rodolfo Vieta, who he just tried to stay away from the grappling of, and Jack Hermanson, who just, like, would not engage with him. So as a result, I, you know, I think Calvin Gaslam is a guy who likes to go in there and mix it up, prides himself on having a good chin. He also just hasn't been in there as often as Chris Curtis has lately. I, I like Chris Curtis to go in there and touch him up. Give me, give me Chris Curtis on the dog line here. Our parlay to play is Lupita Godinez, a minus 210 favorite, and Luana Pinheiro, a minus 188 favorite. So minus 210, minus 188. Pair them together, though. It gets you very slight plus money at plus 103. Break that down. Yeah, I love Lupita Godinez. Uh, you know, phenomenal wrestling in this division. And she's going to be fighting Cynthia Calvijo, making the mistake of coming back down to 115 pounds. I, I just don't think this is in the cards for Cynthia Calvijo. I hate to fade somebody just on her weight, but she's 35 years old. She went up to flyweight. It didn't work out for her. And rather than saying like, well, I gave it my last effort and switching things, she's like, well, what if I was a straw weight again? It's never good to go back down in weight. And it's certainly never good to go back down in weight and fight somebody who's going to have a massive wrestling advantage over you, which is what I think Lupita Godinez has now. And speaking of controlling the grappling, Luana Pinheiro has got phenomenal judo. Her trips, her body lock takedowns, all of the stuff she does for takedowns is phenomenal. And I love her to beat the karate hottie because, hey, that's Michelle Watterson's weakness. When you can get get her down enough, you know, we, we, we saw Paige Van Zant do it back in the day. And Paige Van Zant wasn't beating anybody back then. I think Luana Pinheiro, who took down Randa Marcos five times, is going to have no problem with Watterson here. So give me those two together at plus 103. Boom. That wraps up this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Hey, we think we're pretty good at what we do. Uh, Let us know if we did you right. Let us know if we did you dirty. At Top Turtle MMA on the social medias. 
Gumby, we're having a party here. Let's keep it going. What should we do now? Well, we're going to transition now to my interview with the aforementioned Lupita Godinez, who is getting ready to fight Cynthia Calvijo. We talk about her space in the division, as well as her most recent fight with Angela Hill. And you can get all that great content right now. All right, and joining me today is Lupita Godinez, who fights Cynthia Calvijo at UFC 287. That fight is on April 8th. So, Lupi, I wanted to start here. You know, obviously, we're very excited about the fight coming up, but we got to talk about the last fight. You had a three-fight winning streak at Strawweight, a really, really close fight with Angela Hill. Did you think you had done enough in that fight to get your hand raised? I know a lot of media members had thought so. Yeah. Uh, honestly, like when, when I fought, I wasn't feeling like fully myself when I fought her. Um, because I didn't have, well, first of all, I didn't have a full camp, but okay. Uh, I, I'm usually always training, but before, well, after my fight with, uh, with carnalosis, I hurt my hip. So I couldn't like wrestle. I couldn't do a lot of movement. I, I, I was just starting to back to striking because I couldn't like turn it and push off and stuff. Mm, and then when I go for the fight to fight her in October, I was already just getting clear to start training for the camp for October, right? Um, but then I was like, uh, it was two weeks and then I was feeling it. And then all of a sudden I get the thing like, oh, hey, can can we move the fight and fight her um, in two weeks? And then, of course, you know, like, I don't degrade it, obviously, but I say yes, of course, I'm a fighter. That's my job, right? And, like, my hip, it was a lot better. Uh, so I took it, and, you know, you take a risk, and that's what happened. Um, you know, I'm not taking any credit away from her. She's, like, amazing fighter. She has so much experience and everything, but I wasn't 100% for that fight. And out of curiosity, did, did that get worse following the fight? Did you wind up with more damage to the hip? Did you need more time off? Uh, no, my hip was fine, but uh, she did like a jump in me and it hit me right here. Uh, it, up, it was fine, like honestly, or, or here, I, I forgot. But uh, yeah, it didn't go any worse or anything. It was just, you know, I, I, I just didn't train. I couldn't train. So obviously my conditioning wasn't there. Obviously, like my timing was off and, and she has so much experience and, you know, she knows what she's doing there. And um, I wish I had a, a, a full camp when I fight her, when I fall her. But, uh, you know, that's how it went. And it's fine. You know, I still learn a lot. And and I'm super happy that I got to to, to spend some time with her in, in the octagon. You know, she has a lot of experience and she's super good. So Mm, I'm good. So, so I know, you know, in the past, you've told me you love to fight. You'd fight every weekend if they let you. You know, we saw it with the Luana Carolina fight. We saw it with, with now the Angela Hill fight. Are, are you still willing to take these last second fights all the time? Because, you know, not that it's burned you twice, but both of them are catchweight fights. Both of them are up a weight class. Both of them are on short notice. Is that still your mentality going forward that you feel like these fights are, are worth it to you? Because you are getting something out of them. Yeah, uh, well, like, uh, well, obviously now it's going to be different. And I had to talk to my management, you know, every time we have those opportunities coming up. For example, right now I had a 15-week fight camp for, for Calvillo, right? So it will be great if I can fight the weekend after Calvillo, right? Mm -hmm. Like, just to get to get more fights, you know? But, like, no, it always works like that. And, 
and you know we will see what happens um I, I love the full count because I get to show my full my full skill my full potential you know it's so it's so different when I'm training and when I'm not training it's just two different fighters right there so it's up to them what do they want to see right but I obviously my goal is to fight for the belt and be the champ and taking short fight and you know winning three and losing one and you know that's going to be longer to get there uh so yeah so for now we're we're focusing on calvillo and we will see what happens after that but i i'm liking the full camps for sure that that's great to hear now i want to ask you about the full camps and what's been going on in camp but before i do i also just want to get your take on the current events in mma because since the last time i interviewed you we've seen three different people from Mexico, get their belts. You know, we've, we've seen Moreno get his belt back. We've seen Yair get an interim belt. We've seen Alexa Grasso absolutely shock the world with a win over Valentina Shevchenko. What is it like to see three people from your com- country all of a sudden with a belt on their shoulders? Oh, it's so good. Honestly, it makes me so happy that, um, you know, Mexico is, is you know, is coming up and, and so many so many people starting to train and started to fight, started to get into the UFC. Like, it's just so good. We're growing and uh, it's just a matter of time that, you know, it's going to be huge in, in Mexico. That's awesome. Yeah. And now I, I want to talk to you about your training, which is obviously happening up in Canada, not in Mexico. But, you know, all of the, the videos I've seen from you on social media, or at least the vast majority of them, I'm seeing lots of wrestling, you know, I'm seeing you on the mats regularly getting that wrestling going. And that's kind of what we've known of you in the UFC so far, right? We've seen a lot of wrestling out of you, but that's also something Cynthia Calvijo has leaned on a lot lately too. Do you feel like you've done more wrestling leading into a Calvijo fight because of it being her? Or do you feel like, you know, this is just kind of the normal camp for you? Oh, it's a uh, it's normal for me. You know, that's what I do. I have a fight or I don't have a fight. I'm always trying to get better at my wrestling and my boxing, my kickboxing, you know. I I I feel like I have grown a lot as a fighter and as an athlete. <clears throat> uh for this fight, well first of all I had six months off uh to train and to get better and just like to level up a little bit because like taking so many fights right away, uh, it's hard to get better. Um you know, uh, my life have changed completely in the past year. So I'm in a better, in a better place. So, you know, I'm always say uh, healthy, like mentally me, I'm the most dangerous. So I'm really looking forward for this fight and to show my skills. And um, I'm, I'm mostly focusing on me. Yes, I know she likes this, she likes that. Good wrestling, good hands. It's okay, good for her. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm fighting. I I, I want to fight. I want to fight the better version of myself. And I just know if I do that, is it, it will be really hard for 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 someone to beat me. I like that. I like that mentality quite a bit. Now I do want to ask too. You know, you mentioned leveling up in a whole bunch of different ways. Is there a way in this time off, in this time since we've last seen Lupita Godinez in the cage, that you've gotten the most better? Is there an area you feel like you you've gained the most? Oh, of course, uh, like my whole game, you know, um, I fight MMA. So, of course, everything has to be, you know, sharpening enough to be together at the same time so I can mix it all up, mix it all up. And, um, you know, like you will see when, 
like hopefully you get to watch my fight i'm sure you will yeah um but uh yeah like you will see it's just a different whole me like it's is i feel different of course <laughs> well that's great to hear too now i i gotta ask you you know you said you're not worried about her skills right you're not you're worried about fighting your fight in there but i gotta ask this is your your second straight fighter who you fought who's been in there with some of the bigger names of the sport, right? Calvillo was a top-ranked fighter at a point. You know, she's fought Jessica Andrade, you know, similar to Angela Hill. Her, her name has a lot of gravitas to it, has a lot of weight to it. Were you excited when they offered you another person kind of like Angela Hill who's kind of been there for a while? Oh yeah, for sure. You know those girls are, are they they've been there for 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 you know for quite a bit, and I know I can you know it's 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 win win for me no matter what. You know I'm I'm learning from them. Um, you know because of them I get to get better. The the people that are coming up, you know, like we get to get better because of them. So you know they're great fighters, and I'm so excited. Well, we're so excited for this one, too. And before I let you go, I always try to get it out of my fighters. What do you got for a prediction for us? How do you see this one ending on April 8th? Well, of course, with my hand raised <laughs> and a total domination by me. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Lupita Godinez, who fights Cynthia Cavijo at UFC 287. That fight once again, April 8th. Lupita, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social and Picket. And remember, you can check us out on social media at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations, uh, Twitter and Instagram, that is. Uh, until next week, I'm Daniel Gibby-Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we will catch you then.